And we are back with another episode of The Riff. Uh, my name's Cameron. I'm here with Dan, and we're here to uh, give you guys some more legal knowledge. So, Dan, how's it going? Good, Cameron. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. That's busy good. week? Oh, it's been very busy, yeah. very, especially today. Yeah. 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 I've, I've been looking forward to this podcast. It, it's an exciting one, isn't it? Yeah. I think this could be our best one yet. Don't jinx it. No, not jinxing it, but yeah. I just think content-wise, this is an it's, area of law that I'm I'm very interested in. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, uh, and I think something that a lot of people will be interested in. And it's in the news at the moment as well, isn't it? It is. It is. It's. It, it was on ABC's Four Corners recently. That's right. I think it was titled uh, Health Hazard. And, and with that title, I guess most people would know now that we're, we're yeah. talking about medical negligence. Medical negligence, yes. Yeah, which so, is a very, yeah. very diverse and complex legal issue, but it's one that gets a lot of the limelight because yeah. of all the yeah. the odd and yeah. gross injuries that you can sometimes see after people go into surgery with the doctor. Yeah, there's some fascinating, um, fascinating cases. A lot of it, you know, when you think about medical negligence or medical malpractice however you want to um, describe it mm. a lot of people think about surgery that's right it's not always about surgery no. but but that's um what most people most think people about. think of you know like oh i got a glove sewed into me or yeah or something, something crazy like that, like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's that's where people's fascination tends to sort of lean is towards these um, surgical cases yeah Yeah. but we'll um we'll delve into it in some detail during this podcast and try and shed some light on um on this particular area of law yeah so i think the easiest way to start with this dan Mm. is to go back and let's let's give a brief history on medical malpractice yeah well you know in in sort of preparing for this podcast I, I thought it'd be interesting to do a bit of research on I suppose just um, healthcare and surgery in general yep and it, you know it's got a really fascinating history uh, and I, I, I came across some 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 interesting examples of surgery in in ancient times and in middle ages and you know the, I, I suppose the purpose of that is to explain to listeners how far we've really come. Well, I think we can all agree. We've come quite a far away. So what's the earliest example we have of, say, a surgery? I came across a procedure called tree panning, which tree is... Tree panning, okay, what's that? Yeah, it's something that was done as, as far back as 12,000 BC, which is basically where if you had a headache or maybe you suffered from epilepsy or you know something of that nature yeah a lot of skulls have been found with a hole bored into the front of the skull and the idea was that you could almost bleed out this whatever you know this sickness or whatever it was or or even if they'd suffered some sort of head injury the 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 only really the only real method to treat it was to was to bore or scrape a hole out through the skull obviously with no anesthetic at, at this yeah um, I'm happy I wasn't point. born in 12,000 BC <laughs> or whatever it was and uh, that, that according to research had a very poor survival <laughs> <Yeah>. rate <laughs> I can <laughs> so, imagine yeah um, I think people some people would would have just opted for certain death over having a 
a hole bored into their skull. Mm. But yeah, that was one interesting example. But then you move into the Middle Ages and surgery became a little bit more complex. I came across an example of cataract surgery. Which is a surgery that many people still get. Very common surgery these days. Yeah, that's right. Um, Normally done with lasers these days. But back in the Middle Ages, it was... um, it was just done with a sharp right. implement. I can't stand <laughs> anything to do with eyes. Yeah, and I'm just freaking out. Yeah, so it's not not very nice. To think that about. does not sound good. They just get a sharp object and they're like, "Oh, that cataract." Just, I'm just scrape gonna, it to the side. Scrape. You basically. don't need that. That's all no, right. no. So that that often resulted in um, very very poor vision. Oh. That, I mean, they could see better than when they had the cataract, but um, very very poor vision nonetheless. A, a very common procedure i came across was something called bloodletting i have heard of this one before yeah yeah that was in um performed in and around the middle ages but basically from my reading bloodletting was performed for anything and everything you went to the the doctor for a cold bloodletting you went there for a headache bloodletting uh and bloodletting was a procedure and again Mind you, no anaesthetic at this yeah. stage. So all these procedures are ex- extremely painful. Yeah. But bloodletting was the you know tearing open of the of a vein yeah. um, to let blood pour out into some sort of receptacle, and and the idea of that was it, it cured basically any and every illness, um, or, which we now know it does not. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, it became so popular that people did it as a way of you know, quote, unquote, staying healthy, you know, almost like a maintenance measure. Uh, I, I even read that barbers offered this in the Middle Ages. It's crazy. You could get your hair cut, get your beard trimmed and a bit of bloodletting on the side. It's crazy to think that. And imagine all those people out there today that have a phobia of blood. They just oh, couldn't survive you, in the Middle Ages, could they? You, you, not, not a even good in the time. 1800s. Not a, but you know what? They didn't know any better. No. And then anaesthetic sort of popped up in the 1850s. I mean, forms of anaesthetic existed before the 1850s, you know, with things like opium. But, you know, proper anaesthetic used for the purpose of surgery really came about in, in the in the mid-1800s. That, that came in the form of, um, I think it was ether and some chloroform, and it yeah. sort of developed from there. So that, that's when um, anaesthetic came on the scene. But It's funny to see as well, because when you first think of anaesthetic, you're like, surely... Mm. The surgery stops getting gory there, but if no. anything, it's just like they've just ramped it up to the next well, level. Cameron, that's a good point because once you have proper anaesthetic, um, that allows or allowed for surgeons to take their time. Yeah. So surgery beforehand had to be very, very swift, especially yeah. with amputations. I mean, you, yeah. you had you had no anaesthetic, maybe a bit of alcohol or something, yeah. but you had to be super quick. Um, come anaesthetic. You can do a lot more sort of complex surgeries um, and take your time. Yeah. I came across a doctor by the name of Dr. William Freeman. Mm-hmm. I think you've heard of him, Cameron. I've, I've heard of him only recently, but now I wish I didn't. <laughs> yes. He became famous or infamous probably because of the lobotomy. Yep. And he was around in the US in the... Was it the US? Yeah, it was the, the US, US in about yeah. the 19... 19- 40s and 50s. Yeah, 40s and 50s. But he was just performing lobotomies on anyone and everyone. Yeah. I mean, people, parents would bring their kids to him because, you know, for, probably for conditions that, that are commonly diagnosed yeah. today. You know, it might be OCD or something. Yeah. And and um, the cure, lobotomy. Yeah. 
And and I don't know if all the listeners know, but a lobotomy involves putting an ice pick. Well, back then. Yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah. An ice pick behind your eye, yes. essentially putting it in and jiggling it around yes. to hit, to yeah. hits your brain yeah. to calm the person down. As we now know, it just affected the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe, of yeah. Of the brain. Yeah. But I even read some of these cases that um, Walter Freeman was dealing with and like people were coming to him because their their child, you know, left the lights on. Yeah, I, I read that. Yeah. So, so that was enough to warrant this was a lobotomy. Fi- like 60, 70 years ago. Like this is crazy. It's, it's, that's not about. that long ago. No. Relatively speaking. And, I, you know, I, I, I read it. One, one day he performed lobotomies on over 200 people. It was like a just a conveyor belt, basically. Crazy. Um, crazy times. But... You know, I think there are a couple of success stories there. Of course. But a lot of these people were, were just vegetables. Yeah. Um, but that all led us to where we are today in the medical system. Yeah, yeah. So we know today when we think of the medical system, we've got a hospital, we've got the bright lights, we've got the scrubs. Yes, yeah, mo- yeah. monitors. And you, when you think about surgery now, it's going in and having a sleep and waking up and being exactly. like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So we've come a long, long way. Um, and I think we probably should say at the outset that it's it's fair to say that it, it's easy or at least very fascinating to focus on these these grim stories but doctors and healthcare professionals are skilled people who often study and train for years on end to master their trade. Oh of course uh, and I think when it comes down to it you've got to remember that these mistakes that they make most of the time is just because they're human. Humans yeah, make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, just unfortunate that in their profession, it, it can be massive consequences. Yeah, life or death. Yeah, uh, you know they're they're associated with remarkable and life saving stories, and, and and they should be highly respected and congratulated for yeah, that. Yeah. But like you say, I mean, we're dealing with if it goes wrong, very serious consequences. Um, we're putting our very lives in their hands to to trust that they'll deal with us professionally, right. skillfully, and you know, majority of the time they do, but when it goes wrong, what what can be done about it? Well, I think the first thing to touch on here is that it seems from almost the beginning of history mm. that we have always believed that medical practitioners should have some form of responsibility. That's right. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I see from here that you found the Code of Hammurabi. Yes, yes that's right. From around 2000 BC, which states that if a doctor has treated a gentleman with a lancet of bronze and has caused the the gentleman to die Mm. or has opened an abscess of the eye for a gentleman with a bronze lancet and has caused the loss of the gentleman's eye, one shall cut off his hands. So that's pretty extreme. <laughs> that's a, that's the most extreme example so you can get. I, we're not. Um, if if a doctor or healthcare professional does something negligent today, we're not certainly not cutting off their hands. Yeah. But what that shows is there's doctrine from um, you know Ancient thousands times. of years ago holding medical professionals responsible for their actions, mistakes. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense and i think we even see it in roman times as well yeah you've seen it in roman times where they recognize that if one person is performing some sort of medical action on another Mm, person mm. they need to make sure that they take care yeah because just because of the whole situation yeah it's a very delicate situation that's right yeah yeah you can trace these sort of these older doctrines to now 
You know, really? Yeah. I yeah, mean, that, okay. this is where our, our, our law is is based on these old doctrines. Uh, Which med- is refined over time. Yeah, it's been, you know, refined over many, many years. So medical negligence is, is, not, a, is not a concept that is new. No. It's been around right. for thousands of years. Yep. So wh- why don't we um, talk a bit about contemporary times and medical negligence specifically in Australia, but probably more specifically in New South Wales. One of the reasons why this is in the news so much at the moment, like you said, is about that Four Corners episode recently, uh, which we think was called Health Hazard. So if you haven't seen that yet, I think you can go on iView on the ABC website and probably watch it. Yeah, it wasn't so much... I mean, it wasn't really focused on the sort of legal aspects um, of medical negligence, but... It had some pretty pretty grim stories. Well, it, it, it has some grim stories about practitioners that can get very easy things wrong. Well, it was uh, yeah, it was also more it was it focused more about whether your postcode can define the quality yeah. of healthcare that you receive. And That's right. The real focus was on rural Australia and the the severe lack of resources and, and how that can result in some catastrophic consequences for certain patients that's right and i think the reason why that can turn into catastrophic circumstances Mm. is because there is no rule book on how to perform surgery no each issue that a person could have could be very different yeah even though certain things are very similar you never Mm. know what you're going to encounter when you cut someone open and see what's inside them yeah every case is um, entirely unique but yeah, so let's we'll talk about medical negligence from a from a legal perspective. What what is medical negligence? Tell me, Dan. What is it? I, I think, simply put, the term is generally used when alleging that a health professional or a hospital has departed from acceptable standards of care, which caused or contributed to a patient's injuries or condition right so like i said every case is really really unique so if 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 anyone's interested in reading um, any any of these cases you'll see that every case turns on its own facts there are general principles in law that flow through all of these cases but they do often turn very specifically on their own facts. So an example of some of these case-by-case facts could be a radiologist failing to identify or incorrectly identifying some sort of... Pathology or... Yeah. Whatever in somebody. Exactly. Interpreting yeah. the scan wrong. Yeah. Uh, you've also got as well um, the failure to provide a timely and accurate diagnosis. That's a big one. Very common in these sorts of cases. Especially... Um, in places where hospitals are overrun, for yeah, instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The use of unsterilized needles or, you know, a doctor failing to disclose their lack of experience in performing a mm. particular procedure. Yeah, so they're all really good examples of, um, you know, taken from real cases that we've seen in Australia. Uh, and, and that's just a snippet. Yeah. So it, we've got medical negligence here. Mm, we've mm. established what it is. Yeah. Now, in the eyes of the law, if we were to take it further, who's yep. the person that brings this claim? How, how does this go about? Yeah, good, good question. So 
generally speaking, it's the um, you know injured person who would bring the claim. But because like what we talked about before, some of the consequences are so catastrophic, that particular person no longer has the capacity to bring the claim. Right. So maybe someone can bring it on their behalf. Yeah. But it's usually on that person's behalf. It has to be that person. It's not the doctor bringing the claim. No, the- yeah. So the, 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 the person who has had the wrong done against them, they will bring the claim. It's often brought against the doctor. I mean, generally speaking, they, they have insurance, but it's brought against the doctor and sometimes also the hospital in which the procedure took place. Yep. And so the, the person who brings the claim is called the plaintiff. Yep. And the doctor is normally called the defendant. And the, a hospital can also be... They'd a be a defendant yep. too, yep. yeah. So in New South Wales, if a claim is brought down, it's mm. usually brought under the Civil Liability Act. That's right, yeah. And a claim will deal with really three legal concepts, which we're going to go through, yep. which is breach of duty of care, causation, mm-hmm. and damages. Yeah, so they're, they're legal concepts that are, are used in these types of cases. So we should probably... Um, elaborate on them a bit well, i think that the first one you got to speak about is breach yeah that's normally the first hurdle that uh, that because in most cases the, there is a duty of care we all know that's uh, true but there is no breach yeah so with a doctor and patient that actually it's a good point that you said that the duty of care is almost always there between a doctor and patient yeah so um it's not necessarily about establishing a duty of care it's there already it's whether they breach the duty of care but uh, you know, what does it mean to breach a duty of care? Well, that means really that a health professional has departed from acceptable standards of care, which caused or contributed to the plaintiff's injuries. Yeah, that's right. So that's basically the the, the breach is the mistake or the negligence. Yeah. So we've got a mistake and you want to know whether or not that mistake caused the injury or harm that we're talking about here. That's right. So that's the legal concept of causation, which some people may have may have heard of. So in these medical negligence cases, causation is very often the most complex part of um, any medical negligence case. And often the entire case can revolve around this particular concept. So in New South Wales, it's it's a two-stage test. And I don't want to. I want to be careful not to get too technical here. Yeah, of course. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard not to talk about the concept of causation and and what needs to be done to get over that that particular hurdle. So, in New South Wales, it's a it's a two-stage test, uh, and it's probably best to explain the the two-stage test of causation by using the example of, of a failure to warn. So it's where a doctor fails to warn a patient of particular risks in undergoing a, a certain procedure. So say, for instance, I'm having surgery on my leg. Yeah. I've got, uh, I don't know, a deep cut yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And they need to go, in, oh, no, I've got a break. I've yeah. got a break in my leg. I've got a break, yeah. And they need to go and insert a metal plate. Yeah to fix up my leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can tell, I don't have a metal plate because I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, they've inserted this plate yep. and they fail to warn me that if something goes wrong, there is a risk that I could lose my leg. Yeah, so exactly. So if, if, they've, if they've failed to warn you of a, of a particular risk, it may be that you wouldn't have gone ahead with that, that procedure if you 
were warned of of that risk. So the first test in this two-stage test is that the plaintiff, it's called the but-for test, right? And it it is basically this. The the plaintiff must prove that if it wasn't for the, the negligence or the mistake, the damage or harm would not have occurred. Yep, that's the sense. that's the first, so first stage. Step, and then what's the second step? And then the second stage of the causation test is uh, the plaintiff must prove that it's appropriate to hold the defendant, which is normally the doctor, responsible for the harm. So that that second part of the test is known as the scope of liability. So two important tests here. So you've got they're very the important tests. Test. And the scope of liability test. So even if you succeed on the but-for tests, which is, yes, there was a, an error or a mistake, and yes, that caused the harm, a, a judge will still need to determine that it's appropriate to hold that doctor responsible for the harm that was caused. And I think this was a big area in a high court case that recently happened a couple of years ago. Yeah, right? so this... this very specific issue was dealt with in a case of Wallace and uh, Cam. So Wallace was a patient and yep. Cam was the doctor. So Dr. Cam, this was the case was in the High Court around 2013. So Mr. Wallace underwent a surgical procedure on his lower back, which was performed by Dr. Cam. Dr. Cam was a neurosurgeon. And this particular surgical procedure had two inherent risks which Dr. Cam did not advise Mr. Wallace of. So the first one is something called neuropaxia, which is like a temporary local damage to the nerves. And the other was a 1 in 20 chance of permanent uh, paralysis resulting from the damage to his spinal nerves. Yeah, so that's obviously quite a lot more serious. What happened was, in this case, was the procedure was unsuccessful and uh, Mr. Wallace suffered neuropraxia. That's right. That's right. So he suffered from one of the risks which were not um, advised to him by Dr. Cam. And I think the High Court found that if Dr. Cam had warned Mr. Wallace of the risks, uh, Mr. Wallace probably would not have undergone the surgery. That's right. Uh, so that's, that's the first test we're talking about. That's the but-for test. So he's got up on the but-for test. That's but as right. as we know, there's the scope of liability test. The scope test. of liability test. So that's the court is going to determine whether it's justifiable to, to impose responsibility on Dr. Cam. And in this case, to assess the scope of liability, the High Court really considered an example of a mountaineer. So for instance, if a mountaineer was to go to a doctor and tell that doctor that they were going to go on a difficult climb. And the doctor says back to that person, look, you can't do it because your knee is is not good. It's, it's not fit to be able to make a climb. Uh, and then that person goes and makes a climb anyway, and that person then gets injured due to an avalanche. Yeah, so that's a, that was an interesting example which they use, and it really simplifies it. So in this, back, back to the case... The court found that if Mr. Wallace had been warned about this condition of neuropraxia, he would have gone ahead with the surgery anyway. And so therefore, they said Dr. Camp should actually not be liable. And so in this case, Mr. Wallace lost the case. That's right. So on, on the basis that Mr. Wallace was willing to hazard the risk of surgery, 
even if he was advised, it wouldn't be very fair to hold Dr. Cam responsible. And so Mr. Wallace lost the case. Wow. So he got up on the but for test, but lost on the scope of liability test. That's right. So that that's a good that's a good case to show how, and the whole case revolved around that test. That's and, right. And that's just one of you know the the sort of three major tests which we talked about. So that's that's causation, um, and within causation, we've just talked about the the two stage test to establish causation. So in a case where we've established a breach. Yep. We've established causation. Yep. The next step is how do we quantify the amount of damage That's right. that should be paid for this injury? That's right. So in other words, what's the case worth? Absolutely. And so the plaintiff in the case, they can they can claim for certain things. They can't claim for everything, but there are certain things they can claim for. But I, I should say also that more than half of these claims results in payouts of less than ten thousand dollars it's crazy isn't it it's not you know not a tremendous amount of money about one in six successful claims results in uh, compensation of over a hundred thousand dollars and only about one in 20 cases receives more than five hundred thousand dollars so the first type of damages you can claim is what we call pain and suffering or non-economic loss that's right. So that's a, uh, a a regime under the Civil Liability Act. If you meet certain thresholds, you can claim for pain and suffering. Uh, you can claim for if you've suffered some some wage loss as a result of the harm. Yep. You can claim past and future wage loss and past and future super. You can claim past and future out-of-pocket expenses. Out-of-pocket expenses normally come in the form of treatment and medical expenses. It can also be for modifications around the home or something like that. You can claim if you need domestic assistance. This is something you see in more extreme cases. If you need yeah. you know, part-time or full-time care at, at home, whether that be from family or friends or, or from a commercial carer. Yep, that's right. You you can also claim if, if you were a carer yourself before the the injury, if, if you were caring for someone at home mm-hmm. and then as a result of the injury or, or as a result of the negligence, then you can't care for that person. You can also claim for that. Right. So there's lots of things that you can Lots and lots of things you can claim for, yeah. It's a case-by-case yeah. case basis. Absolutely it is, yeah. Now, of course, Dan, like every case out there, uh, the doctors do have some defences available to them. That's uh, right. Which could, if anything, mitigate the amount of damages they have to pay if there is a yeah. breach in a causation. Yeah, so it could reduce the damages or, or it could mean, as we saw in the case we talked about before, that they're not liable whatsoever. Yeah. So in that case, the the first defense there was that the patient was willing to proceed with the risk. Yes. Uh, yeah. Even if they were warned of the risk. That's beforehand. right. That's right. Yeah. Another one also is, um, which I think we've spoken about before, is the Good Samaritan laws. Of So if there is an emergency... That's right. Yeah. A doctor's trying to do whatever they can to exactly, save that yeah. person's life. And unfortunately, sometimes that leads to mm. an injury occurring. 
Yeah, that's an interesting but uh, quite unique example. Uh, another one is this is possibly the one of the more common defences used is something called peer acceptance. I might actually read a section of the Civil Liability Act out, and it says that a person practising a profession, uh, so like we've said before, normally a doctor, does not incur a liability in negligence uh, arising from the provision of a professional service if is if it is established that the professional acted in a manner that was widely accepted in Australia by peer professional opinion as competent professional practice. So what that really means is if there was other professionals out there that were doing the same type of procedure mm. and did it in the same way, that could be a defence. Generally speaking, mm. yes. Okay. Yeah. There's also... A defence that doesn't come up that often, but it's called contributory negligence. Yeah, I don't know if that... I, I couldn't... I'm not sure if that has come up in any medical negligence cases, but it's a general defence that can be used in negligence cases. It's just if the plaintiff has contributed or caused their own injuries. But yeah, it, yeah pretty, pretty rare. The one that's used is if the claim was brought uh, too late. So generally speaking, you have three years... Um, from the time that the the harm was caused, but there are some rules around that. But that's that's very general. And so, if you bring the claim too late, um, sometimes you're just not allowed to bring the claim at all. Yeah, which is like many areas of yeah, the yeah. That, that's right. So that's um, they're just a few general defences. So really, in a nutshell, that is medical negligence in New South Wales. Yeah, that's a really glossed over version of it. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast and if you have any um, questions or comments or if uh, you have an issue where you believe a doctor has yeah, done yeah. something to you we'd, Give us we'd a love call. to hear from you yeah. but if you're enjoying the podcast please make sure that you subscribe if you have another very interesting one in the next week or so absolutely and um, that's it from today Dan anything else from you? no that's it thanks Cameron thanks everyone and uh, we'll speak to you soon bye bye